All right, welcome to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico, and joining me is... Scotty Hurst from the bunker in the uh, Republic of the Ward. I'm trying to find the right... Now that we've gotten rid of the... I guess the ward never really had a king or queen. I think there's been some unofficial mayors, but... (laughs) They're no longer... Part of the Commonwealth are governed by. I'm sure there's a few people down here that think they might be the, the sovereign of the ward. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's not me <laughs> yet. It's really Game of Thrones down there, isn't it? Oh, some days you have no <laughs> idea. No, it's it's a wonderful place. <laughs> well, so was Westeros once, anyway. Uh, open Source is the CFRU's political and current affairs discussion show. You can find us here every Thursday at 5 p.m. as we talk about the latest news items from Guelph, Ontario, Canada, and around the world. And we sometimes interview local newsmakers and politicians, which this week will be the Ward 2 City Councilor, James Gordon, who is going to talk to us about the budget debate that is going on right now as we are on the air. Uh, how am I doing this and covering the City Council meeting? Mm, that's a mystery. Anyway, we will talk about his <laughs> special upcoming, powers. <laughs> yeah, we will talk about his upcoming motion to create more uh, local action on climate change as well. Uh, that's going to be at the bottom hour, uh, bottom of the hour. Before that, we're going to talk about the Queen of Canada. No, not that one. The President and Queen and Head of State of Canada, who is QAnon approved. She wants her followers to hunt and kill people who are getting their kids vaccinated. So, should we be worried about that? But first, speaking of the pandemic, uh, we all have to uh, hail Omicron, which uh, it has arrived in glorious fashion, because <laughs> if you're going to pick a name for a new COVID variant, it might as well sound like a supervillain. So um, I realize it's also a Greek letter, so don't at me but uh (laughs) yeah so the the south africans uh last friday said they had discovered this new variant omicron it is concerning there are 30 plus uh mutated spike proteins uh spike proteins is the way now i'm not a doctor so don't take this verbatim but the spike proteins are how basically how the virus sticks to you and infects you And the whole thing with the vaccines, uh, especially mRNA vaccines, is that they cover the spike protein so that they basically bounce right off of you. And that explanation is why I never made it too far in medical school. But the danger. Nailed it. Okay, good. (laughs) You are also not a doctor, but the danger is uh, (laughs) that people are worried that this may reduce vaccine effectiveness with all these extra spikes. It may be easier to transmit. None of this has been proven yet as uh, Lori Garrett, who's kind of an expert on pandemic, was pointing out the other night on TV that uh, we have a lot of people sweating over something that does not have a lot of information yet. And that was the main gist of the story this week. The driver was, don't panic, and we're not exactly sure. But then that, of all of that is in the wake of, well, we have to close the borders because it's coming. It's like, mm-hmm. and the... Uh, woman who discovered or isolated this in South Africa first said, Oh no, you know what? It's, it's there. It will be there. And sure enough, I think it was uh, Netherlands sort of went back and tested some slightly older samples and uh, it was already there. It's already here. Right. It, you know, there's no, 
the world is a porous place. You can close the border and just kind of it'll it'll it's a bit of a stopgap to try and at least take a step back and figure out what to do. But you're never stopping this thing because it actually the tone reminded me of like March 2020. Mm-hmm. The way this played out was kind of like, oh, there's a case here. Oh, there's a case there. Oh, it's spreading. Oh, there's a bunch of people. And then boom, right? Mm-hmm. So it's almost like we're reliving the, the beginning of the thing. And that yeah, other variants have uh, come and gone. But now that we're in or have been in the mode for almost two years now, uh, we should probably be thankful for that because it's the analysis can be done now. They can do the breakdown and say, oh, it has this many spike proteins and this and that. Whereas earlier on, um, going back to when this was all starting, uh, they didn't, I don't think that, you know, the tech wasn't in place, turnkey ready to go. And they could say, oh, that's what this is. So, mm-hmm. um, so it's, I mean, we're, I mean, we're not obviously not going back to uh, square one, but it's, there are still the the ton of unknowns, but what is known, and and I was surprised at this number, that this at the area of concern mm-hmm. that they've stopped the flights from, and there are others now. Um, with Egypt, uh, I want to say Nigeria and Malawi. Yep. Is that right? For yep. ten points, yep. got all three of them. Yep. Um, now get the other seven. seven. <laughs> What's that? I said seven get points. the other seven. Yeah, seven uh, percent. <laughs> vaccination yeah. rate seven yeah. percent that's seven percent of the people in that area vaccinated not to blame them but it no, has it's... been pointed out that unless that area and and areas like it that have such like that's not just low mm-hmm. i mean you might say that the, the level of vaccinations in place like germany is surprisingly low in the 60 percent range mm-hmm. but seven percent is like you are just going to keep getting situations like this now they just isolated this i think something else is going to happen too is countries will be reluctant to come forward because it yeah. immediately because if you discover it i mean oh it came from south africa it's like they can't prove that yeah you can't actually prove where this originated from but because they were the ones that spoke up it's now well and this is why they give them uh funky greek names like omicron mm. or omicron <laughs> Yeah, the that that is kind of the lesson from this is that and there's been a lot of discourse this week about like the United States and Canada talking about boosters when you have 7% um of the entire continent of Africa which is fully vaccinated and I mean part of the problem is you can't just reallocate booster shots or doses that are meant for booster shots to first shots apparently there's some uh, difference in sort of, I guess, the amount of vaccine you get. So in, in each of those shots and a booster shot versus, you know, your, your first shot. So that's, that's one thing, but I mean, it does speak to a systemic inequity. Um, and I mean, and this goes for like sort of all areas of, <laughs> well, mm. every, everything, whether we're talking about healthcare, whether we're talking about climate change action, um, whether we're talking about, you know, develop numbers because of, you know, Africa is the last to get vaccines. They discover a variant. Uh, they do their due diligence and report it to the world. Uh, the world slaps travel bans on South Africa, uh, Mozambique, uh, Namibia, Zimbabwe, Botswana, Lesotho, and uh, Eswanti. And then, you know, we get the first two cases uh, diagnosed here in Ontario. And where did they come from? Where did the where did the, where were the two people traveling from? They were traveling from Nigeria. 
well, that wasn't one of the seven countries banned. Well, well, that seems kind of, of course, now Nigeria is banned. So you slash- And they have a massive population too, which I, did, yeah. I had no idea. I knew it was large, but 250 million? Yeah. Which is almost as many people there as, well, not in the US, but I, I was I was surprised at that. But again, when you have- It's a, about two thirds of the US. Yeah, it's- yeah. Massive population not vaccinated equals- Right. right. So, yeah, and then, you know, we slap on the travel ban and it makes it harder to, for them to get um, treatment. And, you know, as you said, the Netherlands came out and said, oh, yeah, we've had this here since last week. I don't see anyone scrambling to ban flights from the Netherlands. Mm, no. Kind of curious that, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And now there's a case, uh, California one, mm-hmm. which means it, it, but it's like anything. If there's one, yeah, there's more like, you know, the, the one case that they find isn't patient zero, it's patient like x right x for exponential yeah. probably right yeah but that's and this is like if there's anything that you know i, I hate to use the lingo again but first world mm. or n- nations uh with means should be doing is trying to outdo each other to get those doses to those places and it i'd heard that china is offering up a billion doses of i guess it's sinovax or whatever mm-hmm. on top of the um there's a 200 mile. I can't. They've already sent a bunch, um, and and that's that's really what needs to happen. And also, and there's the talk is back again about sort of uh, ditching patent laws for a while and just firing off as much of this as can possibly be manufactured and getting it out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure. Well, I mean, I know what the reluctance is there, but you would think um, the other vaccines, like obviously with Sinovac and Sinopharm, they don't they don't. Uh, they roll a little bit differently. Let's say there are other countries with vaccines that we don't, we do come to think of, we don't really hear a lot out of China and Russia about this <laughs> on the day to day. Right. No, they we hear about ourselves. And then it's who's it's usually who is stuck where, and you know, it can't make the hundredth birthday party or Christmas. And it's like, it immediately goes to first world problems. Right. Rather than for uh, sure. There is this snowballing disaster. Um, and again, and it's important to, to note, again, there are no hard answers. And you have doctors saying like, well, let's wait a couple of weeks and sort of see where this goes. And if more people are getting sick, um, you know, after a couple of weeks and we're seeing more and more cases of, 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 of Omicron, then it's time to sort of be concerned. But even at that, I mean, the, the original advice still stands like wear a mask when you're indoors, stay six feet apart. Uh, get yourself vaccinated because at the end of the day, the vaccines and nobody really phrased it this way um, explicitly, but the point of the vaccines was to stop deaths and serious illness. It was to keep people out of the ICUs. There was Mm -hmm. never the promise. There was never an explicit promise that the vaccine was going to get rid of COVID and make it go away. The point was to, if you get COVID, um, you will not get really, really sick and or die. And like that still remains, of course, here in Ontario and um, the deputy NDP leader mentioned this today, you know, we have not heard from the Ontario government, whether or not they plan to stop the plan to start rolling back restrictions as they are next month, starting next month, January, January is next month. At this point, there's a plan to start rolling back those restrictions about vaccine, you know, showing your vaccine certification when you're going into select places for all we know, that's still on the books. 
And of course, you know, for all we know about the way the PCs have handled this crisis so far, it will probably be a last minute decision. <laughs> yeah. Well, they, they tend to wait, right? Yeah. As well, as we know, and that, that started from the beginning as well. And then there's this reactionary, well, we're going to do this. And oh, and by the way, close the, close the leaky border. This, the, the yeah. talk this week yeah. reminded me of like way back when, uh, well, way back, not that far back, but it feels like a long time ago, Noah, but earlier this the, year, yeah. the flights coming in, oh, we have to stop the flights. It's the flights. It's the flights. It's like, it's not just the flights. And there's, there's a, I wouldn't call it a loophole, but this, the, uh, I guess it's the workaround now about the, it's like everybody has to be vaccinated on a flight or a train in Canada. Mm -hmm. And the negative PCR test is no longer enough proof that, you know, things are okay. It's like, you can't do that anymore. You have to be vaccinated. But the exception is the U S right. <laughs> so you can mm -hmm. come in from the U S like, ah, whatever. And, uh, and commuter trains, right. Like commuter train, it's unenforceable. So, I don't know you're more likely to be on a commuter train or a bus or whatever five days a week than you are on the Via right. or the Amtrak. So it's uh, you know let's you should probably prioritize these things a bit more, right? And it's worth noting too, you know, the U.S. is kind of dragging down the overall vaccine totals in North America, where oh. you know, we're like seventy six percent fully vaccinated. They're at like fifty something percent or around sixty percent fully vaccinated. So it's. Um, or yeah, it, it, if if there's kind of one place we kind of want to be doing some more screening, it's probably the U.S. On the other hand, uh, we do have conspiracy theories going around already, and uh, people saying that oh, the latest variant—it's a conspiracy to keep us in our masks and to keep us in our homes and prelude to another lockdown. And I love this. Uh, apparently, uh, an anagram for Omicron <laughs> is moronic. Yeah. So, <laughs> and my shoot. favorite was demonic Nora L, our friend Nora Loretto. Right, right. Demonic right. Nora L was like she came up with her own anagram. Like I'm going to beat you to the punch here, and so yeah, yeah. So that's interesting. Of course, we can't leave the conspiracy theorists alone. They are out there. They are organizing, and one of them is the Queen of Canada. No, mm. not Elizabeth II. Uh, this woman, Romana Dedula. Uh, from Victoria, who is the self-proclaimed Queen of Canada, also the President of Canada, also the Head of State. Uh, she is trying to rally her followers, and she has like, thousands and thousands of followers on Telegram and other places, where she is encouraging them to, well, some of her American followers, of course, getting them to come to Canada so that they can round up everyone who's vaccinating kids, uh, hold public places, hold them in detention, and then uh, take them to be summarily and publicly executed for taking part in this dangerous child abuse vis-a-vis -vis, uh, getting your kid vaccinated against COVID-19. So the Queen of Canada is uh, turning against her subjects. Should we be worried? I'm not, sh I'm not sure what to make of this. I mean, yes, <laughs> No one should be going online saying shoot people, obviously. But Queen Ramona, yeah, or Romana, I knew I would blow it because <laughs> Romana, Ramona, Queen Didulo. Uh, <laughs> there's definitely something going on there. I I had a vague notion of this person because I remember seeing something in the summer mm -hmm. <clears throat> that wasn't as extreme as this, but it was she's just this person 
is associated with QAnon and just sort of spouts stuff. So I, I looked up a couple of things. <clears throat> I looked up one of the videos just to have a look, probably against my better judgment. <laughs> and there's there's no <clears throat> dynamics or anything. She is just kind of this recitation of stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no, it's it's not like she's a, a televangelist type or a dynamic person. There's just this mono delivery. <clears throat> but then it would seem that the queen is also, even though she's the queen, she's also the head of the Canada First Party of Canada. Yeah. And their website's pretty hilarious on the face of it. It looks like some sort of failed uh, kids project about politics at school to the point where some of the, the subjects just have that Laura Ipsum-esque, like the filler. Um, there's no policy there. It's just this filler stuff. Mm. So there's it, it's like... It's complete amateur art. And I guess she lives in a nothing against people in rooming houses, lives in a rooming house, and her big time broadcasts are from like the basement of this place. Now she's claiming that the RCMP have been by to talk to her, but even those claims uh, don't mesh up with like what would happen if some, if the police were coming uh, to talk to you about mental health. Um, so I think this person may know. Uh, themselves that there's a problem but at the same time it's like to just sort of be able to to just spew all of this stuff with no repercussions is dangerous because it just takes that one person who is in that same uh, mindset or frame and believes in the queue and believes all of that stuff mm -hmm. uh, for it to go terribly terribly wrong mm -hmm. yeah she's one of these kind of figures who we're getting into an area where it's like, is she legit or is she pulling a con? <laughs> like, is she legit crazy? Which I hate to have to phrase it that way, but it's like, she a true believer or is she manipulating true believers because, you know, vice did this deep dive about her and they've linked her to like, as like the, the president or as like a director of all these like sort of like weird wealth management companies, like infinite wealth, 24 seven and, um, what's another one here? It's I don't think I wrote down the name. Yeah, this is yeah. It's it's just it's like companies registered out of London and Wilmington, Delaware, which is like sort of the capital of shell companies. Um, where it's like okay, you're like wealth management, you're in private equity, but you're also the Queen of Canada leading a rebellion for QAnon against the New World Order or something. And you got to think, I mean, not to, not to say that there aren't shady people in like wealth management and hedge funds and things, <laughs> there certainly are. But, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about someone who's like been in the business of making money um, now sort of leading this cockamimi rebellion. And you got to, you know, the, the thought is there. It's like, how much of this is her like, and that's not to say either. I mean, there are a lot of like pretty wealthy people who went to the Capitol on January 6th, including Ashley Babbitt, who is now like folk hero of, of, of MAGA world. Like she is not, she is not one of the downtrodden. She was one of the, um, you know, sort of more well off, but um, it's one of these things that can go either way. It's like, she's either someone who sees, a money-making stream or she's someone who has kind of lost her way and i think that's this is kind of the most dangerous aspect of a lot of this conspiracy stuff it's trying to separate the 
the wheat from the chaff, I guess, to <laughs> use, an, use a popular expression. Yeah, and it, uh, yeah, the, the first photo I saw of her was, it looked like a stock photo with other people in it. Mm-hmm. And they had a, uh, like a suit on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, trying to give this image, but the first, I don't know, 10 or 20 websites that came up all seemed like paid content rather than just finding out about this person. If they were uh, independently wealthy or a, a person of means or whatever that you would, you would just kind of see that uh, naturally, whether in the news or whatever, but it all, it was, it was everything about this is weird. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But the stuff from the summer was uh, the, along the lines of the serving, the papers, Freeman, sovereign citizen. So there's this amalgam of stuff going on with Q and the sovereign citizen movement. But of course, what seems to have tipped this person over the edge and others too, as we've seen, because there have been protests, is the vaccination of children. Mm-hmm. And I had a feeling that's what was going to, as soon as that was announced, that that was what was going to happen, that it would be, because uh, they seem to be focusing on that. It's like anybody who will, uh, inject anyone under 19 years of age. That was the that was the threat <clears throat> that was issued. Mm-hmm. So it's like okay, all of a sudden you're not worried about everybody that's older than that. So th- there's so much. Right. There's no uh, continuous thread here. But what is um, what seems to be the focus is that, and I didn't know this, that Q in quotes is gone. Yeah. Q no. themselves, whoever it is, hasn't hasn't put anything out in about a year. So yeah. it's it's been implied that all of these Q people have been left hanging and they need somebody to uh, lock onto to maintain or sustain the belief. And it looks like uh, the queen Romana <laughs> is, is the one and it's, it's, it's bizarre. I saw a comment from a, um, <clears throat> an actual evangelical uh, minister and it's Q is, uh, there are a lot of people that are in the evangelical movement in the States Um that follow Q and they are um, even the higher ups in the evangelical church are like, wow, I don't, you know, <laughs> this is, mm-hmm. how can you be following this? And they said that QAnon runs on the tracks that faith has laid. Right. Which mm-hmm. I thought was an interesting comment because we know how evangelicals work. Mm-hmm. Uh, generally it's very, like I was saying about the dynamic speaker and whatnot, but this person was saying that, okay, you've got this channel of faith, but then there's sort of like this other, uh, sub channel going where people will have these, let's say more conventional or traditional beliefs. And then Q is, is running concurrently with it. It's, it's to me, it's, it's, it's just mind boggling, right? Like mm-hmm. that you would latch onto that. I remember the similarities, I guess, to reg- regular faith, not, not to uh, diminish people or faith or what they believe, but like, it's well, just, it's just so incredibly strange that this is the person that is the focus of the savior, let's say, right. That's going to pull us out of this or I don't know. Well, it all comes back to Satan, right? Cause you know, who's yeah. the, I was going to say, who's the great Satan of the QAnon movement? Well, it is Satan. Um, yeah. The, the thing with it plays into this sort of, I, I don't want to say game, but it, it does sort of play into this game they're playing about, Who's a threat? What's a threat? And um, the whole thing with like Q being absent. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's filling a void and you have to, we can't talk. It's all over the place too, frankly, because we've heard a lot about in the last couple of weeks, the, the guys in Dallas 
who are awaiting the return of JFK and Robin Williams. And like all, all of your favorite dead celebrities will soon return and lead us uh, against, you know, uh, the deep state or whatever. Uh, no you Elvis. Know. Elvis isn't coming. Oh my goodness. That is strange. Not that yeah. you mention it. There's no Elvis, but th- they are waiting for uh, something to happen. And you have other QAnon people who are looking at those people in Dallas and go, those people are nuts. Those people are leading us down. Those, make you, those people are looking at us like crazy. And I think there's an actual discourse that the, the Q gathering in Dallas is like a, a false flag to make all QAnon adherents look goofy. And then you have this civil war in Q with between Lynn Wood and, and uh, Michael Flynn uh, calling each other Satanists back and forth and who's really a deep stater and who's not. And then to bring this back to Canada... Um, your old friend Chris Sky uh, <laughs> shows up at a at, at this gathering he um, started or he called for in uh, somewhere in BC. I can't. I, don't, I was going to say Victoria, but I don't think it was Victoria. Um, but he's going to have this rally in this park. He shows up two hours late um, to his own rally, and it's kind of like this concert is kind of broken out, and people are there having a good time, and he gets into like the stage which wasn't really a stage it was like this gazebo area kind of like down mm-hmm. at royal city park he gets up in the gazebo grabs the microphone away and starts screaming at these people that they're not taking this seriously he came down here to seriously organize all these threats against children and then a band starts playing and it's like i, I mean it, it's hard not to laugh but at the same time i i do get concerned like the more this splinters off the more this thing becomes leaderless how much more dangerous does it get? And I mean, in that regard, yeah, the queen of Canada, uh, Romana is, you know, calling for people to be like summarily executed. But at the same time, she, she claims that the RC, RCMP has visited her mm-hmm. um, at the same. And, you know, as concerning as all of this is, I'm kind of glad that she's kind of out in public like this. Cause if it's giving like somewhere for people to focus or anger, cause I actually do think the greater danger is if this becomes like completely leaderless and rudderless. Yeah. Well, the leader, the leaders are so-called need to turn it the other way um, mm. because so many of them are ending up on sorry, anti-vaxxer uh, <laughs> as either really, really sick or dead. Yeah. Uh, I, God, I'm going to forget his name, but the very notable, uh, Runs this ran the second largest uh, Christian broadcasting network in the world. Mm. Denialist extraordinaire, and all he did was get on and preach about how COVID's not real and selling mm. ivermectin at a markup to people while he's mm. dead. Mm-hmm. So of COVID, so you know, called home, uh, can't do the you know missionary work or whatever anymore. So uh, yeah. I, it, it, it's terrible to say this, but that is, you know, at, at that rate, as unvaccinated, we know how this thing works, mm-hmm. that everyone within that realm will eventually end up there, especially mm-hmm. when you've got something like Omicron, which is supposedly super contagious mm-hmm. and is it's kind of like becoming the Delta where Delta overtook everything. Mm-hmm. Now it sounds like Omicron will because it's as contagious as it is and, you know, a super version ostensibly of this right uh, you're gonna get it and of course we don't know that for certain facts first we have well, to... no well you're sorry you're gonna get covid <laughs> eventually on this earth and i would you know 
Right. No, I, I meant about. I'll stick the, my um, career um, on that one. Like Omni- <laughs> Omicron specifically. We. Oh yeah, Omicron so, specifically. Yeah, yeah, we have again. We need to clarify to... because the hate mail will start coming, saying you guys aren't medical yet. Yeah, I'm gonna. We're gonna take a break so we can start collecting that hate mail now. So you're listening to <laughs> Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. And that was our Royal Cat Records pick of the week. Royal Cat Records, 21 Mac Donnell in downtown Guelph. And that was the actual queen of Barbados, mm-hmm. Rihanna, uh, who has was given an award this week for being... Uh, um, what, what was that award again? <laughs> what's it, what's I had it all it? queued up there. The she like Hero a of national, the People. She, yeah, Hero, Hero of the People. That's Hero of the People. Yeah. So the first one given by not the queen or her mm-hmm. representative, but actually by... Uh, president anyway don't well, get too far into that because we got a whole nother show to do but anyway rihanna is the uh the the queen of barbados anyway the music of the sun <laughs> is the album and the song was also called music of the sun so mm-hmm. i just want to point out though that the current president of barbados used to be the governor general of barbados so it's not like she won in a landslide i'm just saying next but time i guess eh? maybe next time yeah we need to go on a, a tour there <laughs> open sources needs to go there and just soak up music of the sun and to yeah to bring seems they have excellent wi-fi oh well <laughs> so we can do the show right 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 yeah i'm 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 just i'm curious after the first half of the show how we're making travel plans already but that's okay yeah but... uh <laughs> Uh, we're not making travel plans because it's going to be a busy couple of weeks at city council. And uh, if you're listening to this right now, you may also be keeping one eye on my tweets because I'm also covering city council right now. I mean, on the, in the unlikely event that they didn't finish the budget debate uh, in three hours, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> good luck. <laughs> it's it, it could happen, but I doubt it. Um, so I talked to James Gordon earlier this week about sort of his thoughts going into budget day today. And that's about half the interview. And then the second half of the interview is talking about this motion coming up on Monday that he and Councillor Caron want to sort of hit the gas pedal on the city's, uh, I guess, action to mitigate climate change and move to net zero and uh, create more, I guess, guideposts to create more accountability, more reporting. Uh, it's a very ambitious motion if you go and read it on the city's website. Um, it's it's a doozy, and I'll be interested interested to see how it turns out. But in the meantime, let's let James Gordon talk all about that right now. James Gordon, thank you so much for hopping on with us today. You're very welcome. Uh, let's get the budget stuff out of the way, although to, to note to our audience who are listening at 5.30-ish on a Thursday, the 
the actual budget deliberations are in full swing. So if you're scratching your head wondering how James Borden can be on the radio at the same time he's in a council meeting, <laughs> uh, that's the power of pre-recording. But as we sit here on a Tuesday, um, I think everybody's understanding this is going to be very tight. So I'm going to phrase the first question this way. Uh, for you individually, um, what are you prepared to fight for and to keep in the budget and what are you prepared to let go or delay if it comes down to it? <laughs> uh, this is a strange way to answer the first question, but the answer, I think, is everything. Um, this is, to me, a it's a curious time. It's a challenging time. But to staff's credit, I think they have created what I would call a city building budget. Um there is a there is a strange convergence of needs that we have right now that probably will stretch uh, the limits of some of my colleagues as to what that would do to the the base rate. However, um, another compliment for staff, I think. I've never seen a budget and you've watched quite a few where mm -hmm. everything that, that staff has included that they feel necessary to preserve the well-being of our city, to keep the lights on. They've got really bulletproof reasons, in my view, for why those need to be there. And I've looked through because I do want to make sure that affordability is a definite factor for people. Um, the affordability risk is greater if we cut some of the things that I know some of my colleagues, just as you're listening to this, folks, <laughs> will be trying to do. Uh, um, and so the, the second question is, what would I be willing to cut? This is also, as you know, Adam, a, a part of the convergence of a lot of incidents. This is our first multi-year budget. Mm -hmm. So anything that we cut right now I think is just passing the problem on to the ne next year or even in, in, which means the next council. So I understand the extreme pressure there's going to be on my colleagues because we're moving into an election year just to be able to say, okay, we constituents, we watched your pennies for you, but at the same time, can they honestly say in watching those pennies, are we putting any essential services programs, capital projects, at risk that would negatively affect us and ultimately cost us more. Mm -hmm. Which is both the blessing and the curse of multi-year budgeting is that um, you can see the impact of like delaying something a year. Whereas sure. previously you could put it, push it off and yeah. it's next year's problem, but next year's problem is still very visible on, on, on the way this process is laid out. Sure. And I think that's a real learning for all of us on council um, that, you know, we, you and I have spoken about this before, but if I have a critique on how we approach the budget every year, I've always noticed that there's a divide between short-term and long-term thinking. Mm. And the, the multi-year budget has, has long-term thinking built into it. And that's a challenge for some. Right. You know, to, to think that far ahead, to know what we're doing. And, and the biggest example of that, I think, is you've probably heard 
from some other of my colleagues that think, well, maybe the solution to keeping our rate low this year is to put off or delay some of our capital projects. And yet staff have really capably outlined the risks to that with contracts, with um, shovel in the ground dates that, and really stated quite clearly that what you might save this year in delaying will cost us much more even, even next year. And so we're not serving the city well if we entertain those ideas, in my view. Mm-hmm. So we're really drawing some battle lines here because you're here saying, you know, there's really no room to cut. On the other hand, uh, Mayor Guthrie on Monday puts out this tweet about how Kingston passed a budget with, I think, a 2% levy mm-hmm. increase. And that includes a hospital, specialized hospital levy. Kingston, pretty close to... Yeah. Uh, Guelph because they have Queens, we have U of G. So, I mean, there are kind of these kinds of like uh, outside pressures. Um, it, it's, it's, it's painting quite the picture of what the debate is going to look like. And again, the debate is going on right now. So if people want to see how it's going, they can flip over. But, <laughs> yeah. uh, but I mean, sitting here a couple of days in advance, 48 hours in advance, um, I think this is going to be tougher. What's your sense? Yeah. Yes. It- I think the observation you've just mentioned, I, I think that the mayors and all of us are looking for comparator cities to see where we sit. If you look at the comparators, we're still sitting kind of comfortably in the middle as to what our rates are going to be. And I, I can't find a comparison city that is a fair comparison mm. because we have, I, I don't know enough about Kingston. For some reason, I have some colleagues that, Love to love to compare us to Barry all the time, and yet there's very different situations, and we are kind of. Uh, I was talking to my colleague, Councillor Karan, yesterday, who noticed that in her view, when we're addressing any constituent that says, "Well, you got to keep that base rate down," that we're playing a catch-up year this year with this budget. Mm. We kind of did for the last two or three years. We were doing that passing along. And I think the buck's got to stop here with that. Um, and I would also say, I'm always, I'm always conscious of the fact that uh, what does a one percent increase more than we thought it was going to be? What does that mean for the average taxpayer? Mm-hmm. And I think, I think what we're looking at, even if it's five point nine percent. I think we're talking about a $16 a month mm-hmm. more than it would cost the average taxpayer. And in fact, this is a perfect storm in some ways. Every taxpayer who, every homeowner, there, you know about this. I think their homes increased the assessment and value by between $150,000 and $200,000 in one year. So that's a much bigger concern and a much bigger impact to me. And when you really look at what that slight raise, and I'm gonna, I'm doing it right now as we speak. I'm going to be looking for you know ways to shave it as best we can, but I will not do that at the expense of those who uh, need help the most. And it actually points out to how ridiculous our taxation system is at the moment mm. these days because uh, 
those who would be affected most by service cuts or delays are probably paying taxes through their rent mm. rather than through their home ownership. Mm-hmm. And it's rents are, are going up and up and it's even hard to find housing if you're a renter. And those, why would we make decisions that affect those people the most when they need the help the most? Right. It's affordability is a matter of perspective depending sure. on where you are in town. And I would, and maybe this will be the last word on the budget too. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were something like 15 delegates on the budget yeah. delegation night and only two were for cutting. Yes. I think that's important. And I can tell you that, and I've been, I even asked the mayor about this yesterday in a conversation. Uh, I've had, you know, we all get emails, calls about the budget. I've had two emails from constituents saying that, you know, they think what they're seeing looks like their tax rate will be too high Two, mm. And I asked the mayor and he said, I got three <laughs> mm-hmm. and he's the mayor. So, mm-hmm. and it's more important to look at when you said 15 delegates, who the other 13 were, mm-hmm. they were all people with very well articulated, passionate arguments for why this is the year to invest in the well-being of our city, in our quality of life, in in matters of equity, and I, they sold me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, admittedly, James, on that stuff, you're a soft sell. So it- <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> uh, speaking of your issues, uh, I do want to. And speaking of Councillor Caron as well, the two of you are bringing forward this uh, motion Yeah. about, um, well, first of all, it's based on something called the United Nations Race to Zero campaign. Uh, can you describe or can you talk about what that is and, uh, and, and how that landed on your radar, first of all? Sure. Uh, both Councillor Caron and myself are members of the National and Provincial Climate Caucuses of uh, elected officials who have a concern and an interest in climate issues. And it came across our desks, this sort of international movement called Race to Zero. And you're right, it was initiated through United Nations input. Um, It came up, I think, Adam, from climate activists noticing that municipalities have the power to if they gather together to make a real difference and at the same time noticing that a lot of federal governments provincial governments are not pulling their weight Mm -hmm. in that area because municipalities can have more of a, a grassroots input this motion in every city and particularly in guelph is very community driven we have for this motion 15 local advocacy groups that have partnered. And in fact, it's my favorite way to bring forward a motion is when I'm reflecting community will rather than saying, well, here's uh, here's something that old hippie James wants to get done. You know, <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, I am proud to be able to represent the community on this. And I think it's a matter of solidarity. There's hundreds of communities that are adopting it 
And I think that sends a strong message. There are some that are gun shy about motions like this because they look symbolic. Hmm. What I what drew me to it was that it has action items entrenched in it, especially the the interim targets. Mm-hmm. And so we can if if we if it passes and we get our act together, I think we can make a difference with it. And it means more, I think, like the you're you're familiar with um Emerge Guelphs, the, what, what was their mm-hmm. movement called? Uh, 2050 is too late. Yeah. Yeah. So they, um, we noticed that what they're striving for with that closely aligns to what this race to zero was. And we thought, well, let's, let's meld them together and see what we can do. Mm-hmm. Not to bring the ugly uh, politics of the situation in, but uh I will. The, the, <laughs> <laughs> uh, there was a motion a couple of years ago about yeah. declaring a climate emergency that did not come to pass. Uh, right. Do you think the winds have changed that much in the last couple of years? That is my hope. And if I didn't think it had changed, I wouldn't have brought this motion forward. By a cruel coincidence, it was me that brought that motion forward. <laughs> and I can tell you uh, at this national climate caucus that we're part of, Guelph got to be a bit of a laughing stock with that because we have a reputation mm. as leaders in that area, mm-hmm. which is not borne out by our ca- current council. Right. And I think the best indicator that the winds have changed, because you you were covering it just weeks ago in our federal election, mm-hmm. uh, was the last federal election just two two and a half years ago, maybe? Or in was, 2019, yeah. Yeah. So climate was not really on the platforms mm. of any party then. Like they they would make a, a cursory met, mention, mm-hmm. but it it really ramped up. That was became a major concern. And I think it's a major concern now. And the fact that um, when that motion that you're describing the climate emergency motion failed. Um, it was my uh, my darling counselor companion, counselor Gibson, who announced that um, <laughs> there was not it was not palatable mm. to the public to say emergency. Maybe he was right to think people don't want to hear that, and somehow downgrading it to crisis was more palatable. Mm-hmm. But I think I think things are moving quickly. We're seeing even just this past month in BC, how it's hitting closer to home. Um, and we're about to see on December 6th, whether there is that appetite for acknowledging and acting. And I, I, I wouldn't do it if I didn't think that was true. <laughs> mm-hmm. So would you say then that sort of the, the way we're kind of planned out for moving to 100% renewable by 2050, the net zero by 2050. Um, Are you saying that we've kind of moved past those? Like like there's kind of more, the crisis speaks to the need to move those timetables up. Yeah, I I would say so. And to staff's credit, they they really participated in the process of putting this motion together. my only critique on that would be I, I was 
initially hoping that it could be even more, that motion was even more aggressive than it's turned out. Mm-hmm. Except I also, we all have to compromise in that I want the motion to pass as well. Right. So I think it's a good starting point. But we have a tendency on council, and it even relates to the last topic we were talking about with the budget. If our target is 2050, there's a tendency to go, okay, it's 2049, we better get our act together here. Right. <laughs> so the, the biggest impact that I hope this motion will make are the interim targets. So we, it says, you know, staff will be assigned these projects and these directives from council, but they need to regularly report back as to how we're accomplishing it. And if they're not, we have to ramp things up because we'll, we'll see, we'll see. We we can't pretend that we're not going to see those climate impacts. And it, dismays me as a longtime climate activist that we still probably won't sense that there's an emergency unless we're our rubber boots are full of water mm-hmm. <laughs> right and but we're starting to they kind of are we're starting to see those impacts and the other the only negative feedback i've had so far about this motion is i'm i noticed on the often toxic comment section on guelph today um <laughs> Oh, well, that Councillor Gordon, he's just going to ramp my taxes up with this. And yet, I hope on December the 6th, you'll hear some really solid arguments that it will be an economic saver for us to be addressing our, especially with our infrastructure. Um, Even, you know, everything that could impact us with climate incidents is going to cost us a pile of money. And if we can address that in advance in a way that doesn't cost us a pile of money, but yes, will cost us a little money, uh, I think we're going to be the better city for it. And, you know, Adam, I, I always struggle with the difference with anything with city council between what we call spending and what we call investment. Right. <laughs> so it's time to invest. Yeah. Listen, putting the, the today comment board aside, I mean, we could like have a Cloverfield attack and people would be complaining about their tax increase. But the, <laughs> the, <laughs> I, I just want to make this clear. Are you saying that your motion has sort of like got the staff seal of approval? Like they are saying like this is work we can do. Yes. OK, mm-hmm. so. It's a big motion and people can go mm-hmm. and read it. And, and I, I, I wonder just knowing how sort of council sometimes works at times. Yeah. Um, like moving up whole deadlines from like 2050 to 2040, that could mm-hmm. be something that will be a matter of a, a great deal of debate, but things like, and I know Evan from emerge has been asking for this, mm-hmm. like interim, like sort of updates and reports yeah. and, and this, these kinds of more like advanced reporting mechanisms that sort of seems like something everybody can sort of get behind. I think so. And, and- and what would be, I'll just ask you, I'm trying to speculate on what would be any counselor's reason for challenging those, right? right. Yeah. And I, I can't think of one. And the other thing I want to mention about that with the interim targets, the city quite, staff quite correctly said, well, we're, we're doing quite a bit already and we are reporting back. So after an, an initial skepticism as to, well, James, you're kind of a, <laughs> you're kind of going over things that we think we're already doing. 
they've now looked at this as an opportunity to showcase what they already are doing and how this, what we're presenting is compatible and sort of shows a, a solidarity with it too. Mm-hmm. So I guess like not to completely discount the people who are concerned about overreach and, you know, a lot of, uh, I think there's an understandable sort of whiplash that people have that a lot is being asked of cities who don't have a lot of power to whether that's raise funds or, you know, control their own destiny and, and things like that. Right. But for those people who are like, well, isn't this federal provincial jurisdiction? Why is this sort of on the city of Guelph to sort right. of lead in, in, in this global issue? And it is a global right. issue. Well, looking back to the RTZ movement, um, cities are the biggest polluters, for one thing. <laughs> and they actually have, uh, the, like, what are the direct action items that any government level can accomplish? I think a lot of those can be at the municipal level. And uh, I mean, even thinking of an area that is dear to your heart with, with transit, mm -hmm. for instance, there, we already are doing, I think a lot, but we know that we have the potential to do more in making our whole transit system net zero. And I think we'll get there faster than 2050 with it. But those are things that cities can do that federal governments can do, although can't do, but there's partnerships. Like we've got how many are we getting 15 electric buses through mm -hmm. federal funding? Mm -hmm. um, and that's, I think that's great. So I, I never agree with passing problems on to the next level of government, especially, and here's a oh, political comment coming here, <laughs> our provincial government. What's the point of passing anything to them? Right. <laughs> the current government, they'll just, uh, They'll just tell you that they're going to save you money on their beer instead. So. Mm -hmm. Deep pull, deep pull. Um, I don't think anyone's talking about buck beer these days, but no. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll have to leave it there. Sure. Uh, old hippie James Gordon. Thank you so yep. much for coming on the show today. <laughs> it's been great chatting with you. Okay. And so let's uh, get off the call and listen to the budget. Here we go. That's right. <laughs> and once again, that was James Gordon of or two so uh we're almost on the show so you can go and watch the budget debate on facebook live if you want and uh see how it all turns out or follow my tweets or oh boy i can't never a dull moment eh? just I, action I, continuous I, I can't wait for the holiday break it's, it's oh yeah it's not soon enough <laughs> <laughs> shut her down people shut her down well, not yet. I mean, we still got a couple of weeks. Oh, anyway. no. Just, yeah, tomorrow. Just shut it all down. <laughs> shut it down but tomorrow. that's just me. That's <laughs> all right. <laughs> that can be taken a number of ways, which we won't get into, but that's it for this week's yeah. show. We hope you liked it. Stay connected to us on our website at opensourcesguelph.com. We're on Facebook at Open Sources Newswire, and we're on Twitter at OS underscore Guelph. You can listen to this show again by downloading it from our website every Monday at the Guelph Politicast channel on Podbean or through your favorite podcast app at Apple, Stitcher, Google, Spotify, and TuneIn. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson, and you can check out my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca. And I'm Scotty Hertz on Facebook, Scotty Hertz on Twitter, and for all things CFRU, please check out cfru.ca. In addition to listening to this fine station right here,
93.3. Mm-hmm. And speaking of easy listening, we got DJ Sounds Good to Me here at the top of the hour on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. We will return next Thursday at 5 p.m. for another edition of Open Sources Guelph, and we will see you then. <laughs>